Hi, this is Nathan Owens from the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse in Antigua. Every Tuesday evening at 7.30, we have a live call-in program discussing real-life issues from the Caribbean. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You're listening to That's Truth, a live call-in program with Dr. David Murphy, designed to answer your questions biblically in this confusing culture. Dr. Murphy has over 30 years of counseling and ministry experience here in the Caribbean and is ready to answer your questions according to truth. Good evening and welcome to another exciting episode of That's Truth. I'm Nathan Owens and across the desk from me is Pastor Murphy. Good evening, Pastor. Good evening, Brother Nathan, and good evening to those who are listening. We are one week away from Christmas and I saw an advertisement today for an electronics store and it was a real wake-up call to me, Pastor, about how materialistic our society has become. It said... Christmas is all about giving. Buy more gifts for others so that you will get more rewards back from our store. Is that really what Christmas is about, Pastor? No, that's not what it is. We commercialize it too much, but um, um, we don't give to get. Uh, I think it's a time of giving, but uh, I think because we've so commercialized it, we're always looking to get something in return. If you haven't invited and encouraged someone else to listen to the program, it's not too late. You can go ahead and send a WhatsApp, a text message, a call, or just mention it to someone as you're passing by them on the sidewalk or your neighbor over the fence. Encourage them to listen to That's Truth. We'll be with you for the next 90 minutes. We're going to pick up right where we left off last week. And if you haven't listened to That's Truth recently, Pastor's been discussing in detail some different cults and false religions. And last week, we begin discussing the Catholic Church. We begin by establishing that the Roman Catholic Church is not usually considered a cult, but they do have cult-like tendencies, and some of those features or tendencies would be that they claim that salvation can be found only exclusively in the Catholic Church. They have put such an emphasis on non-biblical traditions and put them on equal authority with Scripture, and also the fact that the Pope's authority is equal with Scripture or can trump Scripture if they contradict. At the very least, the Catholic Church is an apostate church that has left the true teachings of Christianity that says that man is saved by grace alone, through faith, and not by works. Now, Pastor, last week you spent a few minutes sharing with us about some of the popes and how they were less than good men and definitely not good religious leaders. Uh, they had a lot lacking there. But if that's the case, haven't there also been a lot of Protestant pastors who have had great uh, shortfallings, both in their private lives, also in their public lives? So why why can we sit here and treat the popes with such a microscope, but we're not discussing Protestant pastors? Well, I don't think that's the fact that we're not discussing Protestant pastors. I think we're not dealing with uh, the Protestant faith. We're not dealing with the Baptists or the Lutheran, whatever. 
Uh, we're really discussing uh, Catholic teaching, Catholic theology, Catholic practice. But that is not to excuse um, any Protestant, whether Baptist or um, Lutheran or uh, Presbyterian or, or any other um, evangelical group, to excuse uh, immorality. Immorality is always wrong, ought to be condemned in the pulpit. The main difference, I would think, between the uh, pointing out the corruption and the uh, moral improprieties within the Catholic Church is because they claim to be the Pope. They claim to be handed down apostolic authority, and they're supposed to have some unusual spirituality, and they're supposed to be called Holy Father. They speak infallibly. So certainly, if you elevate yourself to that high standard, um, I think it's right and proper that people expect more of you. But when you look at the the history of the Catholic Church in connection with the popes, and, and by the way, the information that's available, you can check the Catholic Encyclopedia. They, they can't hide these facts. The fact that um, these men who are supposed to be in line with Peter, uh, apostolic succession, that uh, on record, they were homo- some of them were homosexuals, some of them raped, some of them murdered, some of them committed adultery, some of them were plain drunkards, some even sell the office of the, uh, the, the of churches to gain money. Uh, so these men are not, I mean... Like they, they, they sold the bishop position position Cardinal. yeah yeah as a matter of fact if you give me a, a few minutes yeah. uh, I, I just want to because I did a little bit more digging into the um, these um, characters uh, let me give you a sample of some of these other ones that I didn't mention previously uh, take Paul uh, Pope Sergius III uh, who reigned from 904 to 911 uh, he obtained his office by murder that's how he became the Pope uh, he murdered the person who was to succeed him, uh, to come before him. He also fathered several several illegitimate children by a woman called Marazuya. And he um, Isn't was... Isn't the Pope supposed to be celibate? Supposed to be celibate, but again, these Popes are notorious for the immorality. Um, and then there's also uh, Pope John the the Twelfth, uh, 955 to 9, uh, 964, the Catholic uh, Encyclopedia describes him as a coarse, immoral man. That's how the Catholic Encyclopedia uh, <laughs> de- 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 uh, describes him. He spent his entire life in adultery. Uh, that's in the Catholic Encyclopedia as well. Um, the Catholic Bishop um, Leoprod uh, stated that he had no respect for a single girl, married woman, or widow. They were sure to be defiled by him. That's the description, the own Catholic description of so the Pope. are they the authoritarian figure of the Church then? Is there any check and balance? Well, if you're the Pope and you're the head of the, the Pope, who controls you except the Cardinal who appoints you? So you are virtual law unto yourself. Um, it's not like uh, within evangelical circles, a pastor is not about the Scripture. But remember, the, the Pope can actually create um, infallible statements on, on par with Scripture. So who who puts who who uh, who muzzles the the dog? Who keeps the the, the cop? Who, who uh, in in the case of the Pope, who is who is above the Pope? There's nobody above the Pope. Yeah. And don't forget, he has the power to dismiss as well. So a lot of times, even though people don't know what's going on with the Pope, he has so much power. He's supposed to be God's man. And you know, I saw something on the. Um, uh, vehicle this week don't touch the Lord's anointed <laughs> <laughs> so these are people who are accountable only to themselves but let me just uh, mention one or two of the others as well um, Pope Benedict IX uh, he committed murders and adulteries in broad daylight he robbed pilgrims 
Um, he was regarded as one of the more heinous criminals. Uh, people drove him out of Rome, and the Catholics Encyclopedia describes him. He was a disgrace to the Church of St. Peter. <laughs> so this is this is not us trying to slander the Church itself. These are things that they've said um, about the Church. Um, Pope Boniface uh, the eighth, uh, twelve ninety four to thirteen o three. The Catholic uh, Encyclopedia describes in this way, scarcely any possible crime was omitted. He committed heresy, gross and unnatural immorality, which we, of course would have called bestiality, idolatry, magic, simony. Uh, his whole pontificate uh, was one of a record of evil. As a matter of fact, Dante, um, who wrote The Infernal, he visited Rome and he described the Vatican as a sewer of corruption, and he put Boniface and Nicholas and Clement these in the lowest parts of hell. These are all these are all popes. So uh, it's not a pretty picture. And believe you me, um, let me use one other one: uh, Pope John the twenty third, fourteen ten to fourteen fourteen. He was accused by thirty seven clergy uh, who witnessed. Uh, his fornication, his adultery, his incest, his sodomy, his simony, his theft, and his murder. Uh, all of this is in the Catholic Encyclopedia. I have before me, if I had enough time, to give you 20 of these rascals wow. who were grossly immoral, uh, who exploited the, the office of the Pope to uh, enrich uh, themselves, enrich the, the Church itself, but committed such moral atrocities that when one reads and uh, about these men's lives, you wonder how how the Catholic Church can still stay that they are in line with uh, the apostolic succession and these men followed in Peter. These men were ungodly men. They were not saved men. They were lost men. But these are the men that ruled the Catholic Church. And remember when they spoke ex cathedra, and these are some, some of these men, by the way, actually made laws. Uh, that governed the spiritual and immoral life of the church. Now imagine such people um, so immoral themselves, yet creating standards by which the church must live. This is atrocity. Pastor, the Pope and the Catholic Church, and we've touched on a number of issues and we'll discuss some more, in a number of areas contradict the Bible. And that's the basis for Christian faith. So can you say that Catholicism is part of true Christianity? The, the problem is that the Catholic Church is not one monolithic entity. It it's projects itself that way. But you've got conservative Catholics, you've got liberal Catholics, you've got charismatic Catholics, you've got evangelical Catholics. That's why it's hard. It's not just a one particular um, ball of wax, as it were. There are different branches of the Church. The reason why um, people consider them a, a Christian institution is because they hold to the the, the core doctrines of the Bible. I keep mentioning those, the Trinity, the deity of Christ, um, uh, the Holy Spirit, the second coming, um, uh, forgiveness of sins, the atonement of Christ. Um, these these are the core things that the Catholic Church will hold to, but they have so many other false doctrines that are part of the system. As a matter of fact, there are dozens of erroneous doctrines that the Catholic Church holds to. 
uh, that's why the Refor Protestant Reformation um, moved away from the Catholic Church, although Luther wanted to stay within the Catholic Church to try to reform it. But you can't reform Catholicism. It's impossible. It is an apostate church who has gone away from the Christian faith, gone away from the Christian Bible. They've brought in so many different false teachings that now it's hard for people who profess Catholicism to move away from it. I would say this. Uh, a lot of people who follow Catholicism are not aware, to some extent, of some of the false teachings that they teach. They think that they, these things are found in the Bible because a lot of Catholics don't read their Bible. They listen to the priests. And when they do read the Bible, it's what the priests and how he interprets that. They don't go before God and allow the Holy Spirit to instruct them in these matters. So it's, um, it's very, very difficult. Matthew 15 and verse 6 says, Thus have ye made the commandment of God of none effect by your tradition. Skipping down to verse 9. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines and commandments of men. Would you say that that describes the Catholic Church? I realize there's different brands of the Catholic Church, but worshiping God in vain? I think that describes the Catholic Church perfectly, where they've taken tradition and put it on par with Scripture, in some cases even above Scripture. Because um, a tradition, if uh, within the biblical concept, it is a tradition that doesn't conflict with Scripture. Um, while it may not be in the Bible, um, it may be acceptable. For example, we have a tradition of Sunday school. Yeah. That's not in the Bible. But that's in line with the biblical principle that we're supposed to mentor people and teach people the Word. But um, you take um, a, a feature like penance, which is not in the Bible. But again, it is contrary to the Scripture because you have to go to a priest, you have to confess to the priest, and then he, he tells you what penance you must do in order to have your sins absolved. That is totally contrary to the biblical principle. We, the Bible says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive sins and cleanse from all unrighteousness. We go directly to God to get forgiveness. We don't need to go to a priest. We don't need to do any penance. It's a matter between us and God. That, for us, would be adding a tradition that is contrary, and that in itself, if people believe that, that it's a priest that absolves sin, can you imagine a Catholic going to a priest and believing that he's the one that's going to absolve sin rather than God? Imagine a man living 25 years, 50 years his whole life, he's been going to auricular confessing, he's been selling the priest his sins, and he's thinking that it's a priest that absolves him, so he is, he's in darkness. He's not even forgiven because he's yeah. depending on the priest to go to God to, to get his sins forgiven. Now think of the Think of the deception of that. Think of the, the darkness of that. And also think of the consequence of that. That I believe that the priest can pardon my sins. I go to him. And then I discover in the day of judgment, it's, it's not the priest. That, it's a horrible day. Yeah. And that is what's so frightening about the Catholic Church. It is such a, a huge institution, over one billion people part of it. And uh, it does a lot of good, as you know, all over the world, etc., taking care of the poor. But again, when it comes to the doctrine, it's so contrary to Scripture, you can't endorse it. Do you have a question that you would like to ask Pastor Murphy? Maybe you'd like to share a thought or a concern about something that he has shared? You can call us, be put live on the air. The phone number is one 268 7420 Again, 268 462-7420 is the phone number to be put live on the air. If you would rather WhatsApp or text your question, you can send it to the following phone number, 268-782-1454. Four, four. 
Pastor, I know the Catholic Church has put a lot of money, a lot of effort on the aesthetics, on artwork and sculptures. And something that I was thinking about today was the fact that they have many crosses or crucifixes where Jesus is still on the cross, even in their churches or their chapels, usually behind the pulpit or the the altar, there is a crucifix with Jesus still on the cross. Does that matter from a biblical perspective, and uh, or should we just ignore it? Well, for me, I the cross. There's no Christ in the cross any longer. I mean, we have a cross, as you know, in our church mm-hmm. that is actually. Uh, um, cemented into the wall. Uh, it's just a plain cross. Uh, we do that, of course, to symbolize the fact that Christ died on the cross, but it's no Christ on the cross. Christ is now resurrected. But let's remember that this may be very well in line with the Catholic doctrine of transubstantiation and the Mass, because every time the priest says the Mass, he's crucifying Christ again. It's a crucifixion. It's a sacrifice he's making. So maybe that goes along with the symbolism that he's still there and the priest has power. So his body is, he's being sacrificed every time they say the Mass. Christ is a sacrifice for human sin. Now, the book of Hebrews makes it very clear that Christ suffered once for all, and uh, he paid sin once, once for all. So there's no, no, no need for sacrifice. As a matter of fact, in the book of Hebrews, it draws a contrast between the Aaronic priesthood and the and the Melchizedek priesthood, which Christ represents. Uh, they had to be priests because they died, and they had to go in and offer again and again for themselves. But this one, Jesus Christ, who was the great high priest, he offered himself once and for all time, and then he sat down because his work is finished. So I do have a problem with the symbolism of having Christ still on the cross. He's not on the cross. I, I don't have a problem with the cross itself as a symbol of his death. But to still have him on the cross, um, I think it is con- contrary to, to, to... But again, for sentimental reasons. The, the Catholic Church uh, always believed that people need to see something visible, something tangible, something sensitive, uh, sen- something sensate. Is that why they put so much work into Yeah, that's the why they put a lot. And they, that's why they, they, part of the idolatry as well is creating statues. And uh, they believe that by seeing it, uh, it becomes more real and more tangible. But it's contrary to uh, Scripture. You're not to make any graven image in anything in heaven and earth, and then to have statues of Mary and have statues of Christ, and people go down and bow and venerate those kind of things. That's idolatry, total idolatry. I found a Catholic uh, scholar who said, The crucifix helps us better understand and appreciate our theology of redemption. Do you think that people in our Protestant churches would have a bit greater appreciation for what Jesus Christ has done for them if they saw him on the cross every Sunday when they came to church? I don't think in our, in the Protestant mind, uh, we understand the the error of creating images that, uh, you know, there's some people that got image at one at the top of their bed and one at the bottom of their bed. Uh, they've got people who've got images on the wall, they got them, in the, you go into a Catholic home, you've got some kind of image of Mary, some kind of, you know, uh, and and people uh, give some kind of veneration to that, some kind of treat it as some kind somehow it's holy. Uh, we in the in our Protestant mind, we don't we don't think in those terms. We think in terms of Christ's death and the cross. We think of Christ's resurrection, but we don't need something visual to help us in that process. It's the word that reminds us again and again, and not just some visual object. We don't need that. You're listening to That's Truth on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. We're broadcasting from the island of Antigua. 
1160 AM, 92.3 FM, and online. You can encourage family and friends anywhere in the world to listen at www.radiolighthouse.org. Pastor, the rosary. I know a month or two ago we had a caller call in and ask briefly about the rosary. Can you give us a little bit of more information? Well, I think most people know that if you're Catholic, um, the rosary is supposed to assist and help you uh, to pray. Um, it's supposed to have, sometimes you, you use it in doing the penance. Um, that might be one of the things the, the priests ask you to when you confess your sins. Part of the penance that you do is you say so many uh, rosies. And, uh, and when you say the rosie, you're storing up merit in heaven. So it is a mechanism that is meritorious in the sense that it 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 um it can in, impart grace that you can draw down on. Um, so that means that Catholicism is a works based religion. It is. Uh, anybody who is an honest Catholic would would have to tell you that's a work based thing. It's not a matter of being justified by faith only. It's faith plus the seven sacraments plus um, the Mass and all these other uh, things are part of it. You've got to do all of these kind of things. Uh, and even after you've done all of that, you're still not too sure because you can't, be, you can't be sure about your salvation. And if you are sure, it's perceived as arrogance. Uh, it's not as a matter of the Paul that, that we know. What, what do you mean by that? I, I mean that for Catholic, uh, there's a quotation, I, I don't have it with me, but uh, where it is written by one of the um, theologians, let that person be a curse who says a man can, uh, can be sure of his salvation because you can't be sure. Wow. That is perceived as arrogance. You, you, uh, all you can do right now is uh, to be baptized, and that takes away original sin. Then you follow what the Catholic Church tells you. Go to Mass, you do the seven uh, sacraments and all these other, you do penance, all of this kind of thing. But again, when you die and there's any sin that you didn't confess, where are you going? Purgatory. You're going to purgatory. Where you go to purgatory? To work it off. Yeah, you've got to be punished until you've paid off for what that is. So there's no assurance. When are you going to get to the purgatory? It depends when, <laughs> when my ancestors or my descendants. Yeah, you get to the purgatory, or what you do, you pay an indulgence, yeah. and you say a mass, and uh, the, the priest says a mass for you. But, but he can never tell you whether you've got one foot in or two feet in or you got your whole body in because he doesn't know himself because there's no such thing as purgatory. It's a fiction. It's a, it's a, um, it's a deception. Uh, nowhere in the Bible is there purgatory. Only one place the Bible talks about purging. The Bible says he himself purged our sin. That's the only purgatory the Bible speaks That's about. That's talking about Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ and in, 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 uh, uh, purging our sins in, in the book of Hebrews. So the whole concept of purgatory, it, it, it is non-biblical. It's not found in Scripture. There's no biblical basis for it. And in truth and fact, what it does, it destroys the sufficiency of the efficacy of the death of Christ because you're making me pay for sins that he already uh, died for and took my punishment. So I now got double jeopardy. So the, the Catholic Church is not a church that can give you assurance. Your entire um, well-being is dependent that you're connected with the Catholic Church because there's no salvation outside the Catholic Church. So that is why your connection with the Catholic Church is the only thing you've got to depend on that is going to get you to heaven, which is completely false and uh, misrepresents the truth of Scripture. The rosary... Uh, I read that it is it's supposed to be a time of meditation on the mysteries of the faith. Uh, that sounds, I guess, good. Uh, is it something that we should be practicing? 
No, we should not be practicing. As a matter of fact, the rosary is like what our Lord said in Matthew chapter 5 and 6, uh, that, you know, vain repetition, because that's what it is. Uh, it is saying s- several Our Fathers. It is saying um, Hail Marys. It is saying uh, Glory to Be prayers. As a matter of fact, the beads are counted to remember how many times you said uh, Hail Mary. And uh, one thing I found that was quite interesting that in the rosary itself, there are 150 Hail Mary prayers, and there are only 15 prayers addressed to God the Father. So you're praying 10 times more to Mary than you're praying to the Father. Now, how in the world can anybody with any common sense, with any biblical knowledge, uh, believe that? So here you are elevating prayer to Mary as opposed to elevating to God the Father. If this is an idolatry, I don't know what is. And I hope the, the people who are listening would wake up and get into the Bible, study the Bible for themselves. Don't take my word for it. Get into the book itself to see if this is any way in harmony with what God's Word teaches. The idea that you've got to repeat a prayer and repeat a prayer and how many times you repeat that uh, through penance or whatever, it, it, it uh, gives you a store of grace, um, a meritorious store of grace. This is all part of a paganistic system and we ought not to be praying to any person but God through Jesus Christ. Any prayer to a saint, any prayer to another human being is just stark idolatry. We aren't told to pray to God, we aren't supposed to worship God and God alone. But to honor um, and, and to worship and prayer to somebody else or to another human being, this is just raw idolatry for whatever it's called, even though it goes under the umbrella of the Catholic Church. What about the praying with the symbol of the cross touching your forehead, I believe it is, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit? Amen. Is that, should we be doing that? Is it something, if someone is saved out of the Catholic Church and is now in one, a Protestant, Bible-believing church, is it wrong for them to continue doing that? Well, my, my, my word responding to that is, is there a biblical warrant for that? And the answer to that question, there's no biblical warrant for it. Okay. Do you find it in the, the church, in the, in the uh, New Testament, in Paul's epistles? Do you find it in, any, in the book of Acts? It's not there. Uh, do you find it in the first 200 years within the Christian church? It doesn't exist. So this is something that has been introduced uh, within the Catholic church. But there's no biblical warrant for it. I don't see any value to it. Uh, and if it's I was, a symbol if I, of the victory that Christ has gotten over sin and death, uh, but what I, they say. <laughs> Look, the point is, all of this, um, um, these additions uh, to the, 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 the biblical teaching on this subject, we don't need these external things. We've got the Word of God. That's where we get, uh, where if you want to be rejoicing and you want to uh, remind yourself of what Christ, you get into the Scriptures, you don't need something external of this nature. If I was a person who had converted out of Catholicism, I would have left that long time ago. It has no merit to it. It has no real purpose to it, and I don't know why it continues, but it's something the Church has added. You have a question for Pastor Murphy? You can call one two six eight four six two seventy four twenty. We're discussing the Catholic Church, but maybe you have a question that someone recently asked you about the Bible or Christianity, and you're not exactly sure how to answer it or how to answer it comprehensively, and you'd like Pastor Murphy to give some input from his Bible knowledge. Give us a call, or you can WhatsApp and text your question to 268-782-1454. Again, WhatsApp or text 268-782-1454.
Pastor Murphy, I remember back in school, uh, the term inquisitions or crusades, are those one and the same? What what was referenced No, there? this is something completed. The crusades uh, are a number of religious wars that were sanctioned by the Catholic Church and Protestant emperors in Europe at the time. Uh, this had to do with the attempt to reconquer the Promised Land, Jerusalem. Not only the Promised Land, but all the lands surrounding that uh, part of Israel. And um, it was against to go against the Muslims who had um, taken over that part of the world. From approximately 200 to 980, Israel, Jordan, Egypt, Syria, and Turkey, all of those were Christian countries. And then when Muhammad came on the scene uh, with the, the Muslim movement, they conquered all of that land, and then they possessed Jerusalem. And the, the Pope um, and the uh, European emperors, so-called Christian emperors, uh, felt that they needed to rescue Jerusalem out of the hands of the Muslims. And uh, they ordered these crusades, military crusades, real, real war, to go against the Muslims. And a lot of atrocities were committed um, against the Muslim people. So you find that the Muslims today will normally throw that back at you again and again when you witness it to them, this is what the crusades. But let me just say this. Uh, I do not endorse the use of military force uh, within uh, a Christian institution. Jesus said, yeah, live by the sword, should die by the sword. We don't conquer by the sword, we conquer by the Word, the Word of God. But we must realize that um, between 900 and 1075, uh, the Muslims conquered that entire part of the world, committed a lot of atrocities, murdered a lot of Christians, just like what's going on with ISIS. Mm. That was done back then. And the Christian world responded. At that time, the Christian world was the Catholic Church, basically. So they felt that they needed to go back, go over to Jerusalem and help. But along the way as well, uh, they they committed a lot of trust. They went to Constantinople, for example, sacked Constantinople, destroyed it, robbed it. So while it was supposed to be a Christian movement, it turned out to be a military movement that even though it might have uh, religious purposes, a lot of atrocities were committed. And that still burned into the minds of the, of the, uh, the, the um Islamic people of what happened in those crusades. I was recently talking with a very well-educated gentleman who grew up a, in a Muslim home and now uh, does not claim any religion. But he said so much wrong, so many wars have been done in the name of religion. I don't believe that any of them have the answer. And he's referring to Islam Christianity and Judaism. How would you respond to that from a biblical perspective? In a real sense, um, when you look at the, ch the checkered history of the church, when I say the church, what people conceive to be church, because really in truth and fact, the Catholic Church is seen to be the church. When you look at their practices and the atrocities that they committed. We talk about the popes and the evils and the wickedness and the ungodliness that was practiced by the popes. You can see why people have that kind of a bitter taste. But let me just say this. The, the, the mistake that is being made is to identify the Catholic Church with Christianity and not understand that there's always been a remnant, a true church, that even when the, the, the Catholic Church was there, there were the Albigenses, the Waldenses, uh, there have always been a remnant church that has remained outside the Catholic Church. But the, the problem is that is such a minuscule organization, such a minuscule group, that is not perceived as the church because there's this huge monolithic Catholic church that seems to have so much power. That 
is what has tarnished the, the name of Christianity. And I was just um, reading this week that during the Third Reich with Hitler, the Catholic Church signed a concordat with, um, with Hitler. That with they, Hitler. With Hitler, yeah. That they would they would uh, not oppose Hitler. Hitler would support Hitler in return for favors from the from the um, the Hitler government. But that's why the Jews hate Christianity so much mm. because they can go back to those atrocities during the Third Reich when six million Jews were slaughtered. But it was the Catholic Church in connivance with the Third Reich and supporting Third Reich that uh, led to a lot of these atrocities. But when that history is known today by the Jews, and there's not something you can hide, uh, that is what has made Christianity such a reproach. And I can see somebody who is who takes, looking at the, the, the Catholic Church, looking at the Muslim movement, and both on both sides have committed such uh, atrocities, I can see somebody turning away from that. But my answer to those people is get into the Bible and see that what those people practice is so contrary to Scripture. So don't throw the baby with the bath waters, people would say. Get into the Bible and uh, remember that Christianity is a personal matter between you and God. And uh, there are good churches um, that are there, people who are preaching the Word, people who are concerned about living for God, people who uh, believe in prayer and intercession, who begin in witnessing. So there are some good churches. Don't, don't just abandon the Christian faith because of the atrocities that these apostate uh, institutions have, have committed over the years. Get back to the Bible, get back to God, and build a relationship with Him. I came across a quote from Pope Francis. Each of us has a vision of good and of evil. We are to encourage people to move towards what they think is good. Everyone has his own idea of good and evil and must choose to follow the good and fight the evil as he is convinced. That would be enough to make the world a better place. Now take that statement. That's Pope who? Uh, Francis. Yeah, but imagine, imagine that's a Pope. What kind of a pope would make a statement like that? If he's supposed to be the leader of the Christian world, supposed to be a man of God, a man who's holy, he should know that the Bible sets the standard for what is right or wrong. Whether I think something is right or wrong is immaterial. The standard is not what I think. That is called relativism. That is called mm. subjectivism. He should be elevating biblical truth of what is right and wrong rather than giving and endorsing the idea that I must decide what is right and wrong for me. And that is the dilemma the Western world finds itself in, that it has no moral standards any longer, and every man has become a law unto himself. The church is supposed to bring people back to biblical truth, to the biblical standard, and that is lost. Uh, going along with that, uh Another quote from Pope Francis, proselytism is solemn nonsense. It makes no sense. We need to get to know each other, listen to each other, and improve our knowledge of the world around us. And I saw a quote, I don't have it in front of me, but I saw a quote where he said that uh, to criticize or critique the religious views of another religion is equivalent to terrorism. Yeah. I pity the Pope who makes those kind of statements. He obviously is a person that um, morally bankrupt, spiritually bankrupt, clear, clearly, uh, to suggest that uh, Protestantism is nonsense. Uh, 
the church, the, the, the Catholic Church has never accepted the fact that the Protestants came out of the Catholic Church because it could not redeem the Catholic Church. And uh, so they've always been an antipathy towards the, the Protestants. And, uh, of course, when the Reformation started, they started counter-Reformation. But notice what he's saying in that statement, that we should get together and get to know about the world. Rather than talk about, um, here's a man who's supposed to be leading the church. Rather than talk about coming to know about God, about what the Word of God teaches, uh, listen to the statement again, it's about yeah. knowing the world. Improve our re- knowledge of the world of the, around us. Around us. I mean, that's not what the, 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 the uh, a, a pastor is, is designed to be, or a, a pope in this case. You're supposed to bring man to the living knowledge of the true and the living God. And we should uh, enhance the capacity to get into the Word, understand the Word, interpret the Word properly. But the idea of uh, my job being to get our people or get other religious people to know about the world, that's not my job. That's a geography teacher or some other teacher. But let's focus on um, giving people knowledge of God. What about the Inquisitions? Well, let me just... uh, The Inquisition, on the other hand, was a Catholic response to those people who left the Catholic Church. That is how they dealt with the, the Protestants when they came out of the Catholic Church and became whether Lutherans or Presbyterians or whatever. Uh, they felt that once you left the Catholic Church, there's no, there's no redemption in the Catholic Church. And their plan uh, was really to bring people back to the Catholic Church and get them to renounce whatever false doctrine uh, it was believed that they were teaching. Um, Pope Innocent IV in 1252 he approved torture, and he gave the the civil authorities the right to burn heretics, people who... Remember, heretic is somebody who left the Catholic Church. So if you left the Catholic Church, you are now... The civil authorities were now given that when you capture them, you can burn them because they're not part of the true Church. Not that you left Scripture, but that you left the Catholic Church. That you left the Catholic Church. And then uh, torture was reinforced by Pope Alexander IV, Clement IV, Nicholas IV, Boniface VIII, um, and the Catholic Church. Uh, Between 1100 to 1880, within 700 years, the Catholic Church had killed over 68 million people. 68 million. I didn't say 68,000. I said 68 million people within 700 years. Uh, they were brutal. I would like to share with the audience, if I may, some of the torture devices that they use. Uh, there's what people know about the rack, is where you were stretched out, and your arms, your joints were dislocated by stretching the stretching your body. So they're stretching your limbs in different directions. In different directions. And then they had heavy pinchers that they would tear your, tear your uh, fingernails out using like a, a pliers to pull your fingernails out. And then they had a, a, something called a screw thumb that would dislocate your fingers. You squeeze it down like a, a screw. You screw it down and screw it down until your whole finger is disjointed. Um, and then they had something called the Iron Virgin. It was a hollow metal case that had knives in it. So when they put you in there and they close it, the knives just pierced you. Uh, they gouge out your eyes. They take molten lead and pour it in your ears or in your mouth. Uh, these were some of the methods that we use. And sometimes there were people were forced to jump off a cliff. But below the cliff, there were spikes. So it went right, you became, it became impaled. Um, so these are some of the, the real uh, violent, uh, murderous ways that were used to try to bring people back to the Catholic Church. 
they didn't try to coerce them by reason. They tried to coerce them by force. And that part of the history is such an evil part. That's when we come to Revelation. Is this, that not proselytism in an extreme case? <laughs> I mean, to say convert or be killed? Well, that is not biblical uh, proselyting. proselyting. You persuade a man through the word. You preach the word. But you don't use weapons and violence and murder and, and burning and, and uh, pulling out his nails and stretching his body so his joints are out of body. And then you pour um, hot um, oil or um, lead into a man's ear, into his mouth. And, and when you begin to think about this, how can any person with a conscience, a Christian conscience, have committed these kinds of atrocities? That's why, again, uh, it's believed that this church went away from God years and years, centuries ago, and uh, the kind of method that they employ to deal with people who went away from the Christian faith uh, are simply not uh, biblical in what they did. And uh, this is why, again, you find people find religion so repulsive because this is the kind of history they can look back on and, and point to people and say, is that the church? But again, once again, we must point out that's the apostate church. That's not the true church. We must bring them back to the Bible to say, look, you find a church that tries to follow the scriptures in this way. That's what the true church is all about. You've referenced in the past that there's that Satan has a master plan trying to undermine and draw as many people away from true Christianity as possible. Do you think that Satan uh, was pushing these inquisitions in order to turn people off in our generation, in our day and age, looking back at that history, saying, how can these atrocities have been done in the name of religion? It is very, very clear that those kind of atrocities that were committed were not of God. So it's very, very clear that God had nothing to do with that. Remember that there is the antagonist of God who is called Satan. There this uh, kingdom of darkness, kingdom of light. And there's no doubt in my mind that behind these kind of murderous atrocities was the fingerprints of the evil one, the infernal one called Satan. And I would not be uh, at all surprised that um, he would have projected that this could turn around eventually and become one of the means that can be used historically to undermine Christianity and to turn people away from the faith. His goal is to damn as many as he can, and you damn people by moving them away from the truth. So you've got to corrupt the truth and distort the truth and get people's um, having an antipathy towards the truth. So I think the, the agent at work clearly would have been Satan using the church at the time uh, to commit these kinds of atrocities. You said that there's no way that God had anything to do with them. Uh, with the atrocities. But I think back to the Old Testament, and I forget the name of the prophet right off, but who uh, I think married a prostitute and then cut her up into 12 pieces and sent her to the 12 tribes. Yeah, but he did that after she was raped. But but is that not even, is that not extremely graphic? How can God have used that method in the Old Testament time, uh -huh. but not now? But let me just say this. It doesn't mean because he cut it up, that God sanctioned it. The uh, Bible records what happened. It doesn't mean, now this is, we need to be very, very clear about Scripture. Inspiration has nothing to do with everything in the Bible God sanctions. Inspiration has to do that God gives you an authentic record of what really happened. But it doesn't mean that he authorized the person to cut the person up and send it. That is a historical fact recorded in the Bible what happened. But it doesn't mean that God sanctioned it. Um, the other thing is, we've got to understand that 
in Old Testament days, you're, you're living almost in primitive times. You've got man who is, um, you know, God is dealing with man at his stage of development. You come to the New Testament, you come to the period of Christ, you've got so much more revelation. Uh, there's a clear distinction between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Uh, there's physical war going on in Israel uh, on the Old Testament time. It's, 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 real enemies are enemies that are physical enemies. And so there's engaging in war. And it's about land. It's about protecting yourself. It's about properties like you protected America or I pro you protected Antigua. That's a different level that we're dealing with. Now, we're not dealing with a spiritual kingdom. We're not dealing here with... Christ is very, very clear that the sword is not the means of evangelism. So even if it would have seen that that would have been proper for the Old Testament, we don't revert back to primitive ways of dealing with things. We've got more light now. We got the, the more light we've got, the more responsibility we have. But um, I would say to you that the things that are recorded in the Old Testament, lots of things that are recorded, is just a record of what took place. It doesn't mean it's endorsement. And if you don't understand that when you go to the Scriptures, you will think that everything you find in the Old Testament, for example, Satan tells lies to the first person in Genesis chapter 3. God doesn't sanction that. He just records a historical event so that we can learn from this matter. Pastor, the Catholic Church puts so much emphasis on Mary, and I think it's only fitting that we spend some time talking about what they say about Mary and what the Bi comparing that to what the Bible says about Mary. Uh, I've heard the phrase immaculate conception. Is that a Catholic phrase, and what are they referring to? Yeah, that's a Catholic um Conception is also f a Catholic myth. And what I mean by that is that there's no such thing as the Immaculate Conception anywhere. You can't find it in any biblical document. It's not there. But what they teach is that Mary was born without a sinful nature. That's what the Immaculate Conception is. She was conceived without uh, fallen Adamic nature. Mary was sinless. That's what the Catholic she Church She was sinless teaches. during her whole life. All, her entire life. Right? So that's why they call her Holy Mary. That's why they call, not only that, it's because uh, she was sinless. We'll talk about the assumption. Mary was taken in her body right up to heaven and made queen of heaven. Another myth. See, But again, one false doctrine always leads to another false doctrine. Mm -hmm. And when you uh, exalt a person who is just a woman, used of God, and you give her all these different titles then in your theology, you've got to have to come up with some basis for it. So you keep adding false doctrine, adding false doctrine, adding false doctrine. That's the error of the Catholic Church. But, you know, uh, and it's Pope Pius the, the Ninth, who in 1854 made this the official doctrine. Now, listen to the time. 1854. Before 1854, Mary was never conceived to be immaculate. So here's a pope now who, because he is head of the church, he declares. Was she a saint prior to that, do you know? I don't know, but I, I, I know that uh, it's not the Catholic doctrine before 1854. Yeah. But at 1854, he comes and he makes us a, a doctrine now that's now part of the Catholic belief. But um, Mary needed salvation like everybody else. Mary herself says... Um, I rejoice in the Lord, who the God of my salvation. Only a sinner needs salvation. So, but the fact that she makes that statement itself indicates that she acknowledged that she was a sinner. Uh, but that is one of the dogmas of the Catholic Church, that there's no biblical warrant whatsoever to claim that. So what is happening now? You're putting Mary on the same level of Jesus Christ, sinless, 
right? The Bible says all have sinned. Yeah. There's none righteous. The only exception to that is Christ, who was the God-man. He was not just a man. But now you've, you've now got uh, a doctrine that is contrary to the biblical teaching about human depravity. I don't know how anybody who reads the Bible, uh, Catholic, who can believe that that is a biblical dogma. It certainly is not. So that is one of the the um, the teachings about her. Uh, another teaching, uh, Brother Nathan, is the idea of her perpetual virginity. And what it means there that re- may remain a virgin all her life. But didn't doesn't the Bible record isn't James the brother of Jesus? So how did that come about? Well, the Catholic Church would argue that the, when it says, for example, in uh, Matthew one twenty. 20, um, Matthew, sorry, Matthew 13, 55 and 56, that Jesus had brothers and Jesus had sisters. And then also in Mark chapter 6, he has brothers and sisters. They say that that word there is referring that they were cousins, Jesus' cousins. Now, the Greek word uh, there for brothers is Adelphos, and the Greek word for sisters is Adelphia. The Greek word for cousin is Anaphios. So you're not going to get those two so, so mixed. You can't, they, they can't get them mixed up. But again, if she is sinless, and uh, you've got to have this perpetual virginity because to their mind now that if she's a sinless person, somehow sex in the Catholic Church seemed to be offensive. So it's the opposite of the Mormon Church. <laughs> <laughs> that's because that's why, for example, uh, the, the priests are told so, so to be celibate. There's something that they somehow see that sex is a bad thing. Mm. But clearly sex is a gift that God has given to us. Mm. Uh, and uh, for that reason, they are now saying that she uh, was perpetually a virgin. Again, a false doctrine, a false teaching. It's not there in the Bible. She had sons and she had uh, daughters. And then the Bible says that Joseph did not know her till her she gave forth her, her firstborn until after she had, then he had children by her. That's the biblical doctrine. That's the biblical teaching. But the mythology that has been introduced to the Catholic Church is that she is perpetually uh, a virgin. Uh, she is uh, immaculately conceived. And then, of course, she is assumed into heaven. It's called the Assumption, where she was taken bodily up to heaven and enthroned and made queen. There's no queen in heaven. There's only a king, King Jesus, and she's at the right hand of, of, of Jesus. So what happened now? And again, notice the errors. You've got to get Mary up there because Mary is Jesus' mother. And uh, to get your prayers answered, the mother needs to plead with the son. And the son needs to go to the father. It is all hedonistic, hmm. false teaching that is into the Catholic Church. But because it's been there for so long, to deny it now and to go contrary, the whole system falls apart. And that's the dilemma that the Catholic Church has found themselves in and the, and the Catholic family. You cannot find any of these doctrines in the Bible. But again, that's why they brought in the Apocrypha. Because purgatory, the, the fine purgatory in the Apocrypha, see. So the, a lot of these additional books that they have included is that they have certain doctrines that they teach. Out of those doctrines, you can't find it in the Bible to rush to, to these, these books that are non-canonical. And I would say this to any Catholic who's listening, and I, I have, listen, I, my, I, I hope, I don't have any malice towards anybody, to be honest with you. But I am appalled that anybody can stay within the Catholic Church and embrace these kind of doctrines and really believe this with all their heart and think 
that they're right before God and that they're eternally secure and going to heaven. This church has misled generation after generation. It's put more people in hell than even the heretics have done that in terms of those who moved up to the Catholic Church. It's a tragedy that in this modern day with so much biblical knowledge, with people so educated that they're still following these false teachings and believing them as though the entire destiny depends upon them. This is one of the great tragedies. The other thing I would like to say about the Catholic Church, in connection with Mary, is that they call Mary the mother of God. Now, God doesn't have a mother. He didn't have a God beginning. existed before Mary even existed. Yeah. Mary is not the mother of God. Mary is the mother of the humanity of Christ. See? But when you call him, now again, you've got to give this aura about her. Uh, so she's the mother of God. She's immaculately conceived. She's perpetually a virgin. She's assumption up to heaven now where she's queen. All of these myths, one after the other. But again, once one false doctrine is entered the church, there are necessarily other false doctrines that follow. Uh, and this is a, a, a error, another big error that the Catholic Church have introduced um, into the, the into her system. What do they mean by co Mary is the co redemptrix? What they mean, uh, Christ is redeemer, but Mary is a co redeemer with Christ. In other words, you come to Christ through Mary. That is what the Catholic Church is as well. So she she assists you in your redemption as well. That's another heretical doctrine. So according to them, if Mary didn't exist you wouldn't be able to be redeemed through Jesus alone. Not only that, how you get your prayers answered. Hmm. Because Jesus is so angry with you, Mary is so sympathetic with you. Now that's, that's the argument that she's a mother, she's softer, she understands, she has emotions more than so. She, you want something from the son, you go to her. She pleads with the son. It's all uh, pagan mythology, the mother and daughter theme that you find throughout old paganism. Again, read Alexander Hislop, the two Babylons, and he traces this mother and son theme in a lot of these hedonistic religions and this is where it is borrowed out of the paganism that was brought into the Catholic Church. You always find in paganism the mother and son a deity concept. Um, Isis and, and um, um, uh, I'll get it to you another time but, um, but these are our names oh I've got it here sorry for example, the same theme of mother and daughter in uh, deity. Uh, you have, um, in the time of Babylon, you've got Samimaris and uh, Tammuz. That is the mother and daughter. This is a deity, mother and daughter. And then in Rome, there was Venus and Jupiter, uh, mother and daughter theme there again. And then in India, you've got Devaki and Krishna mother and daughter theme. And then in Canaan, you had the Ashtaroth and Baal, mother and daughter theme. This paganistic theme has run throughout, and this was embraced by the Catholic Church. Uh, as part. Don't forget that when Constantine became the emperor and made uh, um, Christianity religion, half the population were heathen. And what they did to attract the heathen into the Catholic Church was to borrow bring these things into the church so that it would be the same things we have but now we have sanctified it as it were that is where we get a lot of these festivals from you read the book it's a very well documented book that is worth reading to understand how we got a lot of this um, Christmas right including Christmas (laughs) including uh, Easter 
A lot of these things that were into the, into the church, uh, they have really paganistic backgrounds. No question about that. Do you have a question for Pastor Murphy? We would love for you to contact us. You can call and be put live on the air. one 462 7420 Let me give that to you again. one 462 7420 Or if you want to WhatsApp or text your question, you can send it to 268 268- 782-1454. If you are joining us via Facebook Live, thank you for joining us. And if you have a question for Pastor Murphy, you can just comment it, and it will be passed along to him. Uh, anything else you want to mention about Mary before we move on to another teaching? What I, what I would, uh, one other thing I'd like to say uh, about Mary is that a lot of these apparitions, you've heard about Mary appearing. Uh, you've heard about Fatima. You've also heard about the one in Yugoslavia. Uh, the one with Fatima is where uh, she's supposed to appear to three uh, shepherd's children uh, um, in uh, 1917 and supposed to give them some messages. The thing that you'll discover that every time she appears, uh, it's not about Christ. It's about her. For example, in Fatima, uh, one of the things that they asked to be done, a, 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 a chapel to be built to work to her. Uh, to honor the fact that she appeared. Hmm. When she appeared in Yugoslavia, uh, she said that peace was more important than conversion, fasting, penance, and prayer. She said that uh, <laughs> to the children, right? And they were supposed to, um, they were supposed to uh, say the rosary and so on and so forth. So these apparitions of, of Mary uh, all over the world, wherever it's supposed to be, is nothing about Christ. It's always centered about her. Uh, she's a dominant figure. She has pretty much displaced Christ in the minds of many Catholics as well because you're praying to Mary every day. Uh, you're saying the rosary every day. You're going to a statue about to Mary. Some people have got these statues, at one at the top of the bed, one at the other end. You're going to a Catholic home. They've got Mary in the corner, a little little, little, little effigy of her, etc., etc. It's as though that... It's like the, as I said, like you say, Seventh Adventists. When you think of Seventh Adventists, what do you think about? The Sabbath. Sabbath. See? Yeah. When you think of the Jehovah's Witness, you think of 144,000. Yep. Right? When you think of the Catholic Church, you think of Mary, you don't think of Christ. Yeah. Right? Because she is such a predominant figure in the Catholic Church. It is so pathetic uh, that I am amazed that in this enlightened age of Bible knowledge, that still there are so many that follow these errors. I was trying to find the news story. I didn't find it. But I remember a few years back, someone had cooked a pancake, uh-huh. and it... They thought it looked like uh, Mary, and they sold it for lots and lots of money. Yeah. Uh, I was back in high school, but it, so it was a few years back. But I remember hearing that and thinking how ridiculous it was. There's a lot of superstition in the Catholic Church. For example, uh, relics. I mean, if you take the pieces of crosses, take them from every church in the world, you can build maybe... Uh, a dozen crosses, or maybe more <laughs> than that. But again, everyone's supposed to piece of the cross. Yeah. You know, if you find a bone of <clears throat> some saint or James, the brother of Jesus, uh, yeah, that is that is. Uh, I mean, those those things are adored. Yeah. And um, I, not, uh, they used to put it in every altar in the Catholic Church. There was a place that was dug out, and some relic was always kept in there. Uh, a lot of superstition in the Catholic Church. You have to have superstition when you have a man elevated to the position of a pope uh, at that level. What does the Catholic Church say about salvation, uh, how one can be saved? Well, basically, uh, 
the first thing here is that you get your original sin washed away at baptism. Infant baptism? Infant baptism. Your original sin is washed away in infant baptism. What if I'm an adult and was never baptized into the Catholic Church? I can get it washed away as I realize that I need it and I get baptized as an adult? Well, any baptism okay. is the washing away of original sin. So first, you've got to be baptized to wash away original sin. But that's contrary to Scripture. Of course. Mm-hmm. Baptism can't wash away sin. Otherwise, we'll go down a... Uh, a dirty sin, come a clean one, but clearly baptism has nothing to do with washing away sin, but that's the Catholic Church. Uh, so baptism is essential. You cannot get your original sin washed away except you go through the process of... Uh, and then you need confirmation. Confirmation is where they lay their hands on you and you're imparted the Holy Spirit. So again, you need, you need, you need the laying of hands that's where I think also part of the Mormon Church. Mormonism has borrowed from Catholicism. It's borrowed from the Old Testament and has added mythology to it. It's a company and has also added masonry. It's taken all of these elements of the real confused system. The Catholic Church as well uh, adds some of these features, uh, and then you got to you got to uh, do the mass, and then uh, That's even communion. even all of the yeah, communion. But not only that, you've got these the sacraments. Each sacrament imparts grace. It's not, it's not, the, the Mass is not a memorial. When you partake of the Mass, grace is imparted to you. There's, there's real, real, genuine grace imparted to you. So these, these seven sacraments are necessary, part of salvation. But even when you die, and you're not too sure if you confess all your sins, you still got to go to purgatory. And how long you're going to stay in purgatory, nobody can tell you, but it has enriched the church to have a place called purgatory. How is that? Simply because you can pay to have a Mass, and uh, if the Mass is set for you, you got your time reduced in purgatory. The Catholic Church has found uh, a bank in indulgences and requiem Mass and other forms of Mass to get people out of purgatory. So, in the Catholic Church, these things are necessary so you can't say that a man is justified by faith and faith alone. The Catholic Church says you say that you're cursed, right? But that's the biblical doctrine. They cannot understand the grace of God in pardoning on the basis of faith and completely uh, forgiving a person. There has to be some aspect of human works involved in this matter of salvation. So it's a works salvation religion. A WhatsApp question that has just come in from a listener in Antigua. Thank you for sending it in. I am understanding more about the Catholic Church with the information given. Your program is a true blessing indeed. My question is, what are your views on both the Eastern Orthodox churches and also the Anglican Church as they are somewhat closely related to the Catholic Church? Maybe we should cover the Anglican Church and the the, uh, Eastern Church. The Anglican Church came out of the Catholic Church. It has a lot of the paraphernalia of the Catholic Church. Uh, a lot of this um, rituals uh, in the Catholic Church are part of the Anglican Church, but the thirty-nine articles of the uh, the uh, Anglican Church, the doctrines differ somewhat, uh, but a lot of the practices are still part of the uh, the Anglican Anglican Church. Uh, personally, I think the Anglican Church never moved away from Catholicism as it should. And that is why there's such a, a great similarity between the two. 
Uh, I need not uh, remind you as well that the, the Anglican Church is very, very tolerant towards a lot of moral uh, issues today that we as Protestants would reject. Uh, but I think we need to spend. We could spend some more time on that because the information we've got to look at the thirty-nine articles of the Anglican Church to see exactly what they believe and what they teach. Their communion is not the same as the Catholic Church. They don't teach uh, transubstantiation. They're more like the Lutheran. They're more like the, somewhat like the Lutheran. Uh, so they differ in that respect. Um, the veneration of, of, of idols and objects and so you don't find that so much in the Anglican Church. But they're like they're like sisters almost between the Anglican Church and the Catholic Church. And um, we'll have to examine that in more the Orthodox Church, uh, the Greek Orthodox Church, uh is quite like the Catholic Church, to be very honest, very much like the Catholic Church. Um I am not I haven't um looked at them myself, but I because the, the person has asked that uh, we'll make that a part of the program and look into the, the Anglican Church more thoroughly and the East, uh, Eastern Orthodox Church. So if the uh, the person who sent it would give us, uh, let us do a program on that, because I don't want to say things that I need to retract. I want to be very, very sure as to what they believe and to do a, a, a more further study on it. Another question that has just come in from Antigua. Pastor, do you think the Catholics will ever allow a woman to be a pope since they hold Mary in such a high standard? What would I, what would I was shocked to tell you that there was a woman pope. There right? was? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I did not know yeah, that. Yeah, there, there was a woman pope. Um, I will give you her name before the program is over. Yeah. While because, you're looking that up, I'll share the contact yeah, info yeah. again. You're listening to That's Truth on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse, broadcasting from the beautiful island of Antigua oh, on 1160 AM, 92.3 FM, and online at www.radiolighthouse.org. Time across the Eastern Caribbean is 36 minutes after 8 p.m., uh, the voice that you've been hearing on That's Truth is that of Pastor Dr. David Murphy, the pastor of Grace Baptist Church in Antigua. And if you are in Antigua and you're looking for a good Bible-preaching church, we're not trying to draw you away from your church if you are in a good Bible-preaching church, but if you're looking for a church that holds to Scripture as the ultimate authority, we would love for you to visit. We're located on Rowan Henry Street in Gambles Terrace, uh, just north of downtown and Sunday school starts on Sunday morning at 9 a.m., morning service at 10 a.m., and evening service Sunday evening at 7 p.m. On Thursday evenings, uh, rotating every other, we have a prayer meeting at 7 p.m., and then the next week is Bible study at 7 p.m. Um, we're discussing the Catholic Church. We're discussing false religions uh, discussing cults, and specifically tonight, we're on our second week of discussing the Catholic Church. Uh, were you able to find it, Pastor? No, no, I, I'll try and find it before I leave, but uh, I have it. I know I have it because I had that uh, to mention as part of the program. It's a sh I had a sheet here that dealt with the, the, the popes. That's actually on it, uh, her name and who she was and what time she reigned, but there was actually a, a woman pope already. I have another question that has come in. Uh, I was told once that the independent Baptist churches are no different than the Catholic Church in that they believe in a one world or a universal church. The person explained that we practice open communion 
And any Christian can take part in that communion regardless if they regularly attend that church or are just visiting. Therefore, we believe every Christian is part of a one-world church. What does this mean? Is it a Catholic doctrine? And should our churches practice closed or open communion? That well, was more than there's one. a distinction between the there's something called the universal church. Uh, if the book of Ephesians, for example, uh, tells you there's one baptism, one Lord, so there is a concept. A universal church is made of all true born-again believers. Uh, that is why uh, we are Baptists, but I believe that there are Christians in Baptist churches, Lutheran churches, Presbyterian churches, uh, Pentecostal churches, and there may be some that I haven't mentioned. There are true, authentic believers who put their faith and trust in Christ as Savior. There are believers. They are part of what is called the invisible universal church. All true believers. The local church is just that congregation where in a particular geographical location, like uh, where we are, Rowan Henry Street, that's a local church. That's not the universal church. But there are believers from every other denomination of true believers that are part of the invisible church. Um, we, in our church, um, we, uh, I would say we probably practice open communion. If you came to our church and you profess faith in Jesus Christ and the communion is being given, however, before we serve the communion, we let you, we read, we either read or talk about uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, let every man examine himself, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but I would say that in our church, we don't stop people from observing the Lord's Supper because that's a matter between the individual and God. That's not the same as the Catholic Church because the communion service in the Baptist Church is a memorial service. There's no efficacy in the transformation of the elements from the uh, wine into blood and the wafer into the body of Christ. We believe it's a memorial, so it's not similar uh, to the Catholic Church at all. So there's two different things altogether. I was just looking up, Pastor, while you were answering that, and uh, Pope Joanne from 855 to 857. Yeah, uh, yeah. Is that the one you were looking yeah, for? Yeah, that's the one I'm looking at. But I, I have it, uh, I had a, no a notation here as well, and I hopefully I'll, I'll find it. Uh, but she was a pope, no question about that. And the, again, uh, let me just say to the audience these are things you can check up. Go to the Catholic Encyclopedia uh, online. Uh, and you'll you'll be able to check who the popes were, et cetera, et cetera. So we're not teaching you something that is contrary to what the Catholic Church would deny. Pastor, what about confession? Am I supposed to confess if I'm part of the Catholic Church? Do I confess my sins to Mary? We confess our sins to God. I mean, that is very, very clear in the Bible. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. What and about what do the Catholics teach about confession? Well, uh, the Catholics teach that uh, you must go to a, a priest at least once a year. And this is mandated, by the way, at least once a year to make confession to your sins. Because it's the Catholic priest that absolves you of your sin. You remember, he has the power to bind and the power to loose. And uh, that is what the Catholic Church uh, teaches. So it is mandatory of a Catholic that at least once a year they go and make the confession of the sins before the priest because only he alone can absolve them of sin. Uh, biblically, we find that offensive. 
only God can forgive sin, and we go directly to God to be given pardon and forgiveness. What the Catholic Church would use sometimes in the book of James, confess your faults one to another. But again, if you read the context of the book of James, it has to do with a believer sick because of some sin that's committed, and now he's getting things right and he's confessing that he's committed that sin against that particular person. But it has nothing to do with oracular confession where I go and probe my heart. Could I say this? Well, Nathan, this is where a lot of priests have gotten themselves trapped with women because he has to know details. Who did you sleep with? When was it? Uh, what happened? Did you enjoy it? Build an emotional bond. Right. He has to, he has to get into areas that only God should get into. But he's a priest, so how long did it last? You know all that. So you can very well see that having this um, fetid way of thinking, this mind, how easy it is to be bonded, and then the knowledge he has of you now, he could almost entrap you uh, yeah. because that private information is not information that any man should hold between. It's between you and God. So then, if he gets in a relationship with the woman, then he has blackmail against her. Yeah, and that's what happened. That's why the the Catholic Church is known for such corruption, Mm. both with boys and with women. Uh, When I was ministering in St. Lucia, um, I I mean, this is so common. These police sleep with the women, and then when it gets known, the, the church ships them out to another island. They go to another island to do the same thing. That's why the Catholic Church has to pay so many millions of dollars. Not that they don't know these things, uh, but they keep recycling yeah. them. Same thing with boys. The the atrocities against is committed against boys. So, but confession is a matter between a person and God, and we just go directly to God. But remember, the Catholic Church doesn't understand that all believers are priests. We're priests under God. We're holy priesthood. They have created the priest that we need to go to. So they don't understand the biblical role of the universal priesthood of the believer. So we need a priest. We have a great high priest, but we are priests ourselves. So we don't need an intermediary, which is the Catholic priest. Another myth. What do they do with those passages in the New Testament where it talks about the priesthood of the believer? I don't know how to interpret those, but clearly they're either not reading them correctly or they're in, in, interpreting in order to suit their theology. But they've already established that you need a mediator between God and man, and that's the priest. The Bible says it's one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Again, Brother Nathan, think about this for just a moment. Not only do you need priests now, but you need Mary too. See? So you, you've got this imposition between us and God. The whole uh, teaching in the Bible is that going back to the, the, old, the Old Testament temple with the veil, the Holy of Holies, the holy place. Only the high priest could go into the holy place. At the cross, it was split from the top bottom. Now there's no distinction between the holy place and the Holy of Holies. We now have a given direct access. We're talking about that in Ephesians, that we have access into God's grace. So we don't need a priest. We are priests ourselves. But the Catholic Church, because of their mythology, and again, it's bringing in the priesthood of paganism back into the church in order to ingratiate itself with the heathens. Remember, half the Roman Empire were made of heathens, and now they were bringing everybody into the church. So they brought these practices into the church. Pastor, in 1998, Pope John Paul II said, In celebration of entering the third millennium of Christianity, 
penitents who do a charitable deed or give up cigarettes or alcohol for a day can earn an indulgence to eliminate punishment on earth or in purgatory. Anything from that statement found in Scripture? (laughs) I am just... um, I find it terribly, not only humorous, but sad, that in a modern era like ours, having gone through the Protestant Reformation, having understood that Luther wrote his 95 Theses, and one of the things that made Luther move out of the, had to do with, in, now I'm seeing in the 21st century, the Pope is now advocating substantially the same thing that Luther was against, that you can't buy your way or work your way into the favor of God. Hmm. Right? If this isn't paganism, I don't know what is. Yeah. Luther understood it and he brought about the Protestant Reformation, there needs to be a new Reformation today to really, really, because I am very, very convinced that people really don't know what the Catholic Church teaches. It hasn't moved one iota than when Luther was around. They just add more to it and different layers. And maybe what we need is another Reformation to call people out of the Catholic Church. Recently, the papal court in the Vatican announced following Pope Francis on Twitter can buy you less time in purgatory and atone for your sins. Now, now let me ask you a question, Brother Nathan. Yeah. Imagine, I'm a Catholic, I'm reading that. If that doesn't um, create in you a sense of spiritual repulsion, yeah. what man has that kind of power that he can forgive me my sins and have my, all my sins by just following him on Twitter? If this isn't... Uh, That's putting social media as an aspect of getting your relationship with God right, which is disgusting. To my mind, it's like magic. It's a form yeah. of, of magic uh, in, in this whole thing. And I, I don't know why. I, don't, I cannot still understand why intelligent, informed people uh, still remain with this heretical movement, this apostate church. I can't figure it out myself. That's got to be the ultimate marketing scheme is to encourage people, if you want to get right with God, you need to follow us on Twitter. (laughs) Um, (sighs) Transubstantiation, what is that all about? Uh, Transubstantiation has to do with what they call the master communion. Uh, The Catholic Church has endowed the priest with power that when he says certain phrases, this is my body that's broken for you, that literally the wafer is literally changed and transformed into the body of Christ, and the wine is literally changed and transformed into the blood of Christ. So when you partake of the wafer and you partake of the blood, you are literally partaking of the flesh and the blood of Jesus Christ. Now that is cannibalism, if there's anything called cannibalism. And the Old Testament warns us that we must not take blood. right? Uh, but the Catholic Church believes that because Jesus said, this is my body that's broken for you, eat. But Jesus also said he was a vine. He also yeah. said he was a door. So if you take that literally, the context makes it very clear he's speaking figuratively because if he said, this is my body, but here he is in his body. So it cannot be the physical body he's talking about. And later on, by the way, it's interesting. He said, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine with you again. So it's, it's, it's great juice. It's, it's not yeah. blood. But again, the church 
uh, now again, remember that by giving the priest so much power, any man can change a wafer into flesh and can change uh, wine into blood. That man has power. Mm-hmm. And that's why the Catholic Church dominated the world for 1,500 years and kept them in darkness. Because these men were perceived to have so much power that they could, they could actually sacrifice Christ again on the altar for sin. Right? Again, makes me think of the statement you just made about it's, it almost seems like a level of magic or a... Yeah, it's a mythological uh, aspect of the Catholicism, but that's part of their mystery. That's This mystique about the priests having this kind of powers kept people in darkness for a number of years. But the New Testament light comes, and that's why when people come to the New Testament and begin to understand the Bible, the darkness goes, and now they become liberated and free and begin to understand that this is just pure mythology. Uh, we have a WhatsApp comment that has come in from the British Virgin Islands. Thank you to the individual who sent it. Pleasant night. I am absolutely amazed of both the pastor's knowledge and wisdom. My parents are Catholics and constantly tell me when they have offered Mass for me. I am no longer a Catholic. Is it a sin on my part if I tell them I don't believe in their doctrines? Will God punish me for not telling them? Madam, um, I'm assuming it's a lady. Uh, Listen, You cannot go wrong by speaking truth. Truth will always be offensive. Uh, I think there's a loving way to make it known to your parents. Uh, You appreciate their concern for you. Uh, But mom and dad, uh, I, I don't see any merit in what you're doing for me. And while I appreciate your concern for me, I would appreciate if you you desisted from what you're doing. Um, I don't want to offend you, uh, your mom. I I love you. Um, I appreciate so much your concern for me. But um, biblically, there's no grounds for what you're doing. And it would be good if you can give them a scripture, a passage of scripture to explain what what is teaching there. Um, I don't think a parent that loves a child, and if you do it in a proper way, um, you can be inoffensive. I don't think that's going to destroy the relationship. So I don't think it's a sin if you were to say to your parents that, that you know, this is not biblical, this is not true. Um, look, remember that Jesus said, I came to bring a sword, and your, your, your daughter against mother, father against son, brother against... And this has to do with a, uh, antipathy because of truth the truth of what he teaches. Still love your parents, still respect your parents, but do it in an honorable way. Is it a sin on the flip side to not tell them? If something is uh, something of this nature is so important, I think you need to bring, that, uh, bring some clarity uh, to your family at some point in time. You just can't bury your head in the sand hoping that somehow they'll come around to the truth. Your job as a Christian, if you're a believer, a real believer, is to try to share the truth with your parents in a respectful way. Um, so I think that if you know the truth and you hide the truth, I think that would be sin because you need to share the truth with your... And, and by the way, does it help any that you refuse because you think that you might offend your parents and what if they die believing what they believe and they never come to true saving faith I'm going to suggest to you that you're going to look back and you're going to regret that you did not make it very clear you did not uh, try to get them to understand at least uh, they will not be in that day to say well my daughter didn't try madam your job is to try to influence your parents uh, to the Christian faith 
And I would suggest to you that you share with them what the Bible teaches on this matter. The Catholic Church is mentioned in Revelation, correct? Uh, the great whore, is that referring to the Catholic Church? Most Protestants, including myself, uh, uh, believe that that is exactly what the, uh, the Church is about there in the book of Revelation. Um, and there are several reasons for believing that, uh, Brother Nathan. Uh, if you were to read the section in the book of Revelation, uh, you'll discover that several things are said about that uh, particular whore. Uh, number one, she rides the, the beasts, and that is the end-time power. Uh, so there will be a, an alliance between religion and politics as we move towards the end time. There, uh, she is also described as one that is um, drunk with the blood of the martyrs. There's only one church that has been responsible for the death of the Christian martyrs for centuries, and that has been the Catholic Church. She's also uh, um, described as one that has the names of blasphemy uh, on her. And I think if anybody is aware of what the Catholic Church teaches, that they do have a lot of names that um, are blasphemous names that they apply uh, to, the, to the Pope. For example, Pontifex Maximus is a title that the Pope wears. Uh, that word means chief bridge maker. In other words, he's the bridge between God and heaven. That's what Jesus Christ. Jesus is the only bridge between God and heaven. And that's why they, 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 they're talking about her name. She's full of names of blasphemy. And that's one of the most blasphemous names. That he's the bridge builder between man and God, between earth and heaven. Christ uh, is the only bridge builder. Holy Father. The only time you ever find that expression, Holy Father, is in our Lord's high priestly prayer. So he addressed his Father as Holy Father. Now the Pope is to be addressed as Holy Father. So he has taken a name that applies to God the Father and assume it for himself. Um, uh, also, um, the, um, the, the idea that uh, he's the rock. Jesus Christ is the rock. Because it said that Peter was um, the church was found in Peter the Rock. Again, they've taken that title that belonged to Christ and applied it uh, uh, to, the, to the first pope. So, and, and then the, the word that is used, uh, Monsignor, that is used, you know, address the Catholic um, um, lady like that, priest like that. That word means my Lord. Hmm. All right? I mean, so you're taking titles that, that belong uh, to deity. And uh, putting them, and then I, we mentioned, of course, that Mary is called the mother of God. Mary is not the mother of God. Mary is the mother of Jesus' humanity, but she's not the mother of God. Uh, not only that, but you remember that there are other names that um, are given to her as well. She is the co redemptrix, she is the uh, mother of grace, queen of heaven. Queen of heaven. All of these are titles of blasphemous titles. Uh, as a matter of fact, that word queen of heaven, by the way, is referring to the ancient God that uh, Jeremiah uh, speaks out against uh, in the book of Jeremiah. That is a, a heathen god. That, that title was, now, uh, was given to Mary. So that's another reason why we believe that this, uh, this what the Bible calls it, the harlot. But of course, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, harlotry has to do with being unfaithful 
uh, it, both in the Old Testament and New Testament, and it has to do with, in this case, spiritual unfaithfulness, not being faithful to God and aligning itself with the political powers at the end time that the Bible talks about. So these are several reasons why we believe that the description of the woman riding the beast, the religious powers riding the beast, the, the, the marriage between politics and religion is going to happen in the end time. This is going to be the great ecumenical coming together of the churches under one umbrella, and that is what the Pope has been doing for years. Is it safe to say that the Catholic Church is practicing idolatry on steroids by all the traditions that they have? Unapologetically, I would endorse that 100%. There's no question about that. Thank you for joining us tonight on That's Truth. Next Tuesday is Christmas, so we won't have a show. And the following week after that is New Year's, so we will be rebroadcasting a previous show. So we will see you next on January 8th. Have a Merry Christmas. Have a Happy New Year. And keep Jesus Christ at the center of it all. Thanks again for joining us here on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. Thank you for joining us for today's program. We pray that the Holy Spirit uses the truths shared from God's Word to strengthen your faith. Now you've heard it. That's truth. Thanks for listening. Remember, you can hear more answers to life's questions on That's Truth. Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. If you're in Antigua, you can listen at 92.3 MHz FM. If you're in the Caribbean, you can listen at 1160 kilohertz AM or listen online at www.radiolighthouse.org from anywhere in the world. Or you can subscribe to this podcast. Looking forward to having you join us next time.